This is Rob here with you. We're doing a follow-up. This is a little bit of a different format that I'm normally used to doing because I have to kind of give you guys a heads up because I kind of dropped the ball and I wasn't able to get this particular podcast up in time. I'd recorded this back in September of 2022 with the intention of getting it up just before the release of Mark's book in December. And unfortunately, I was not able to do that. But I want to say that there is a silver lining in this cloud because it gave me the time to begin listening to this new book. And it is absolutely fantastic. It is a triumph to what Mark has brought to the Clancy series. And for any of you out there who haven't listened to any of Mark's writing for Clancy, I strongly recommend you do that. So this is my podcast or the more recent podcast that I did with Mark Cameron concerning his upcoming release at the time of Red Winter. So please enjoy it. Welcome back to the Goon Rules Podcast. That was Red Light King. We want to thank him for the use of the Bone Shaker single, uh, the official single of the Goon Rules. Uh, check him out now with his new single, Cold Killer, on Spotify. Uh, we are back with uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, Mark Cameron. Again, he is a returning, always uh, welcome guest here of the Goon Rules. And he is truly, whether a lot of you guys realize that he would not like to say it and probably wouldn't say it in open crowd, he is a goon. <laughs> he likes to say Thank he's you. not. He's in the Santa, he's in the Santa Claus, you know, grandfather. And I'll tell you what, my man is a, is a, is a retired old goon. How are you doing, Mark? Good. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you, brother. It is uh, the, the honor and the pleasure is completely all mine. So what's coming up? What's going on? A uh, new book coming. You want to talk at all about that? Yeah. Yeah. We've got, we're always in the, you know, it's in the writing world. If, if you don't have a deadline, you don't have a job, you know, so we're always doing something new, but I've got uh, the, uh, the next Clancy uh, Jack Ryan novel that I do for the Clancy estate and put Penguin Random House is in the works. Now the covers out, it's going through the editorial process. It's called uh, red winter. Um, it's a, uh, Kind of a retro book, which is fun. It's set back in 1985, um, kind of when I started law enforcement. So it's fun to to go back when Jack Ryan Sr. is in the field, Mary Pat Foley. It, it basically is a book that, that explores what went on timeline-wise in between at least one of the adventures, in between The Hunt for Red October and uh, Cardinal of the Kremlin. So when you when you look at the Clancy timeline, the books didn't come out in order of the timeline. So, um, in fact, we went round and round a little bit with a couple of the copy editors this because they didn't they didn't 
didn't know when the books came out. Like Patriot Games came out way later, but Patriot Games happened prior to the Hunt Fred October in Jack Ryan's life, if you will. So it gave it gave me, which I I'm a Jack Ryan aficionado and and have been for a long time. So it was fun for me to go back and and study what was going on in all the lives because I had to weave it in, if you will. So I didn't, for instance, I couldn't let Ed Foley be anything other than the chief of station in Moscow, because that's where he was at the be at the beginning of, of uh, Hunt, or uh, Cardinal of the Kremlin. So the book is, explores um, in my books, in the, in the more recent books, the contemporary books, Mary Pat Foley is the, the director of national intelligence. And um, this is back when she was a field uh, case officer and Jack Ryan's an analyst and uh, Dan Murray, who's now in the, Contemporary books is the um, the uh, attorney general. This is when he was a younger FBI agent. So there's no the campus hasn't been formed yet. It's all these people as in their mid thirties doing their thing in the government, and it, it was just a absolute just a great fun to write. So that'll be coming out. I've got another Arliss Cutter coming out in April, and then working on another one, and then I'll be working on another Clancy as well. Haven't even awesome. haven't even started the cutter series yet. I've gotten I downloaded one, and I haven't even started it yet. Um, but this book, I think your timing, as usual, is uncanny. Uh, so. With with the way things are right now, uh, a lot of conversations about Russia, a lot of conversations about China. Uh, I think I think this. I think this blast in the past or to the past is going to be very helpful for some of our readers, specifically any, any of the readers that, or listeners that we may have that are younger than us, even right, more so. That's true. That's true. Um, because there's so many things that you and I lived through even in that period of time. Mm-hmm. No, you know? you're absolutely right. And that, you know, the old saw that we're, if we don't study history, we're doomed to repeat it. That's said all the time. Um, I'm I'm a big proponent of there's a, a I just finished uh, the rise and fall of the Third Reich again for the third time over the last 15 years. Um, very interesting book, very telling book when you see how that, that happened in our history. Um, this allowed me to study in this book. I've always been interested in uh, Stasi in East Germany. Oh, the Stasi. How? Yeah, exactly. And that whole you know, committee for state security and, and how they were the, you know, the, when I was a young police officer, the Stasi was strong in 1984. They were like at their, you know, before they started to fall. And then in the, in about 84, 85, um, Russia started to really race us so much from arms races that they pulled back some of their support. And then of course, in their own, uh, internal politics and then Gorbachev and all of that. So just reading about that and reading about what it was like in East Germany. I mean, when I was growing up, you know, there's that commercial of the, 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 well, the Olympics, we didn't go to the Olympics, you know, yep. because of, of uh, Russia and East Germany was kind of a, a little bit of a joke because of, we all knew they were doping their athletes and it was an open secret. And, mm-hmm. um, so outside of East Germany, there was a 
you know, the people that were living in East Germany had to deal with stuff that we, we worry about our freedoms now. And for good reason, we, we should take care and keep our free, you know, keep ourselves free. But when you look at what was going on in East Germany, it was a, it was a whole different animal, an entirely different animal. And it's oh, good yeah. for us to study that. Very good for us to study that. Well, Stasi, for the most part, was the bit of a bit of the iron thumb yes. that controlled uh, at the time that would have been East Germany, correct? Or right, exactly. East, yeah, yeah. The, the East Germany. So the so Berlin was this little island. West Berlin was this little island in the middle, of, you know, surrounded by the country of East Germany. And so then you had that division there. But the Stasi were the the sword and shield of the government. They were the ones that that um, made sure that everybody was towing the line. Um, you know, the the Stasi when he went into the go- when he went through a checkpoint. It was the border guards, but as likely as not, a Stasi officer undercover, you know, checking out diplomats and and, and guests and whatever. Um, they just had a, you know, there was a, and I can't, I won't have the numbers exactly right, but, you know, they, there's an estimate, there's a lady, and I can't remember her name now either, a lady who wrote a book called Stasi Land, which is a very informative book about what it was like under the Stasi in East Germany. She did dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of interviews. But uh, one of the things that she pointed out in her book is that, and again, I'm going to get the, the numbers wrong, but, but in um, Nazi Germany, there was, you know, so many hundred um, for every so many hundred people, there was a, a SS officer or a Gestapo officer, you know, riding herd over these hundreds of people in russia there was so many a couple of thousand people for every couple of thousand people there was some sort of kgb officer in east germany one out of every six people was a stasi or stasi informant so if you were in a room of 10 people somebody was an informer and that's just a very difficult way to live and and so be studying that it, it was not hard to have my big bad, if you will, have many big bads in the book, the antagonists, because that was such a, there, there's really no, I mean, you get on YouTube and you can find people that, that are just, you know, all in believers. But from my point of view, there is, there's no way to make it right. There's no way to justify keeping people prisoner in their own you know, building a wall to keep people in and keeping, you know. Yeah. And and today, if for all of our listeners right now is and correct me if I'm wrong, this is the 21st anniversary of that would September be about 11th. Right. 80, yeah, yeah. September 11th. 21st anniversary of September eleventh. Yeah. And oh my God, I mean the, the the people that were born in that period or probably say in their 30s now would remember September eleventh. But for mm-hmm. guys like you and me the threat of, you know, Axis world powers coming head to head was kind of a pretty regular thing in the 80s um, and even you yeah. know, late 70s. Like I remember as a kid, ladder, you know, doing the drills, you know, even mm-hmm. though it's technically futile. Like I remember the, you know, the, I, remember, <laughs> I remember the bell had a certain thing that would go off and then we'd have to jump up under our desk, you know, mm-hmm. and that was and I think we would have one of those drills at least once a month. 
where the oh, thing yeah. would go off and we had to jump up under our desk. And for all you listeners out there who don't necessarily know what we're talking about is, is we're um, uh, big brother. Mark is a little bit further along than I am. He probably remembers a lot more crisp, the whole cold war uh, issues that we were going through at that time, late, you know, seventies, eighties. Um, so yeah, we had, we, I lived in the flight path in Carswell, uh, Carswell air force base. So the B 52s would fly over us. And we, I remember in my high school, so that would have been, I was in high school from 76 to 80. I graduated in 80 and um, we were not where we were supposed to be. We were underneath in the catacombs of the high school exploring. We found a bunch of food and Geiger counters and, you know, nuclear suits for where just the, well, we were still having those sorts of drills. I mean, in 19, I can't remember, I think 1984, 1983, 83 or 84 is when, the Soviets shot down a KL 007 yep. flying out of uh, Alaska on its way to Korea. Yep. Remember that Life magazine yep. cover with all the shoes that had washed up ashore. Yep. And the Cold War was hot. Uh, yeah, it was. It. it got really, it got really close. I mean, we we see, you know, most of the, you know, those of us now are, or you know, the those of us that are young, a little bit younger. You know, they see conventional warfare that we've executed over the past, the the never ending war that we dealt with. But it was it was such an odd time because Vietnam had ended. But. Yeah, there was still terrorism. Um, There was still Pan Am Flight 103. There was still remember the whole period of time there with the plane hijackings that were going on. And and then Delta was developed because of that. And then the remember the cruise ship. That got hijacked. Achille Loro. That that's all the time that I was writing about that 83, yep. 84, 85. So that's it's Achille Loro, the Pan Am, the, the yep. Bader Meinhof gang, the I yeah. mean, it was all there was so a lot of our stuff. guests or our listeners now, you have to understand that it was it was there was still a threat, just like now, but it was a different time and it was handled differently. So yeah. So if you can get a chance to, to listen to Brother Mark's book or read it when it comes out, I, I think it would be uh, really beneficial to, especially like I said, anyone who's not familiar with that time period. Well, it was a fun. It was a fun book to write. I appreciate you saying that. It was great fun. Well, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it just because I'm curious to see, especially the headlines. I remember the headlines. Yeah. You know, I remember the. I remember uh, my grandmother. I was raised in upstate New York, so the the mm-hmm. you know catching the news at six mm-hmm. was uh, pretty. You know, being raised by my grandparents, catching the news at six was a must. Supper was yeah. usually at five. We're done picking up. Everybody went in and caught the news at six o'clock. And I can remember Achille Laurel. I remember what was the uh, there was a plane that blew up on the tarmac. Yeah. I can't remember that one, but I remember that. I remember, mm-hmm. um, I remember Pan Am Flight 103 over Lockerbie. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that th- those are those are interesting. So so folks, when you you do pick up the book and you get your hands on, um, you know, uh, Red Winter when it does come out, remember the time period and what he's trying to reach back to because I still think that um, that reach back into history is significant even for these times, even for now. Well, and you think too, and one of the things that I discovered is I explored these characters and there's a it's not really a spoiler to give this away but there's a an older former oss character in the in the book which is another you know group that i really have a great deal of respect for um and you know the precursors of of cia and 
And when you look at the early 80s and the time, the period that you're talking about, the people that were my age and your age then had a very bright recollection of World War II. And oh, yeah. they were young. And so when the you were, a, a let's say, a, a young diplomat or even Jack Ryan, Jack and Kathy Ryan in London in 85, they were surrounded by places that still showed pockmarks from bombings. And you, you see what I mean? And yeah. so oh, yeah. the world was a different, had a different feel to it because World War II still was a, a lingering, it, it still lingered on the dust. You know, yeah. Still yeah. It was like a scar still. Exactly. So when you, when I, and I hope it comes out in the book, but when I write about the, about 1985, I'm not just talking about the cold war. I'm talking about the scars of, world war ii in europe and how that affected each side so it was a really fun book to write a very fun book to write and no, that's that's exciting at least like i said it's 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 like i said uncanny and relevant at least in my very honest and humble opinion to now nice. um with what's going on you know again russia i don't think i don't think russia ever there were times where i think our our thoughts and our focuses were somehow parallel, not necessarily aligned and we were okay with each other, but I don't think Russia ever really stopped being a competitor with us in some way, shape or form. I don't think it's ever stopped. Yeah, I think you're right. um, so that's, like I said, that's the relevance to now, but um, September the 11th, where were you? I was getting ready to go to work. I woke up in the morning and it's in Alaska because of our four hour time difference. Um, when the planes hit, we were just rolling out of bed and getting ready to go to work. So I woke up, I guess I, I woke up when the first plane had hit, but before the second plane had hit and was, I was in the shower or something. And my, my kids are downstairs, you know, kind of that rolled up in blankets, watching the TV before the, before they get ready, you know, get ready to go to school. And so they knew about it before I did. And then, you know, and then immediately we were sent into the office to, to get ready and see what we were going to do. And that's, see, where was I? I was, I was working for a, a company and um, the boss always, pl always played uh, AM radio talk in the mornings. Mm -hmm. And this is interesting because you also will relate to what I'm getting ready to say. Emergency broadcast system. Oh, yeah. When that, so you don't realize how you've been programmed in that tone until mm -hmm. that tone went off, off of an uns. Cause remember how what was it? Uh, certain days is scheduled to go off at a particular mm -hmm. time. And we just, right. it's weird. I almost felt like Pavlov's dog. Yeah. A test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only mm -hmm. a test. And it was mm -hmm. at a scheduled time every day. It would mm -hmm. test it. But when that sound went off at that time of the morning on the radio, yeah. I remember explicitly my heart dropped and the hair on the back of my neck stood up because yeah. my, it was weird because my mind immediately knew something was wrong. It, it, it was just, it's amazing how they programmed, they programmed us. I know that. Well, um, I, I guess that's why that nasty tone that it just grates. It's like fingers on a chalkboard. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, yeah, and it, it, you know, and you're immediately paying attention to what's mm -hmm. getting ready to say. And when they talked about, you know, the, uh, 
I forget what it was exactly. I'll get it wrong, but it was specifically talking about an attack in New York and this and that. And it was, uh, yeah, it was. Nobody knew what to do. Nobody, no. everybody, we were kind of caught on our back foot. It was like that, you know, getting punched in the beak. Yep. Everybody's eyes were watering figuratively and we yep. literally, and we just didn't know what to do. I had been, I was on, I guess, three different times. I was on a, on a protective assignment. Um, when the, the world trade center was bombed the first time by Ramsey Yusuf and his, yep, his in the people. basement, in yeah, the in the basement garage. with that, that rider truck, um, that they, you know, made the error of leaving the, the, uh, rental agreement. And, you know, that was terrible, terrible planning on their part, but people were injured and, but it didn't bring the towers down, but they saw that as the, the target. And I was on, uh, Ramsey Youssef trial, moving Ram, moving Ramsey Youssef. And then, but most of the time, the other three times I rotated in, I was on the protective details on the judges because we had federal judges hearing these trials. So I was assigned to Judge Mukasey. And then for a while, Judge Mukasey's wife, she taught at a, a, um, a Jewish school. And so that was a, a big target. Um, and so we were there. You know, all in fact, I remember the whole detail. One weekend, we went, we got some time off, and went up to the World Trade Center and rode up and had the lunch at the Windows of the World Cafe, yep. just to you know, like we're we're okay. They didn't yeah. bring it down, you know. Yep. So, so this was a very, very poignant time for us uh, in the Marshal Service when that came down because of of our experience with the first with Ramsey Yusuf, who, you know, I think even I talked to you about this um, the first time we spoke about evil and, you know, how many, you know, I've arrested a lot of people over the course of my career, but most of them were not evil people. They were people that have maybe made evil decisions, bad decisions, found themselves in a position where they made weak decisions, but not necessarily what I would call evil. Well, Ramsey Yusuf is an evil man and the mm. kind of a person that hurts innocence. I mean, when he was arrested, he was putting bombs in stuffed animals. So um, a very evil man. And he was the brains behind the first world trade center bombing and sort of start that impetus for the second. Well, there's, you know, I can speak from personal experience that the, that greater than I'd say 98% you know, as a Jew, 98% of the Muslims that I have met are peaceful. Oh, they, absolutely. They, they absolutely. have no intent to harm you. They're very close friends. As a matter of fact, extreme, extremely close confidant. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say that the people that planned that were very radicalized. They were... But I will say this, they were not stupid and they were extremely well versed in mm -hmm. a lot of the more radicalist ideas that have been procreated after Muhammad. And if if it, it if you read anything about any of the surahs, any of the hadiths, um, you learn very quickly that Muhammad was a lot of things, but a, a very wise tactician. He was he mm -hmm. understood he understood long-term protracted combat. And he mm -hmm. also understood that if you ain't got no money, you can't fight. 
Right. Um, so therefore, you know, if you look at, he was a caravan robber, mm-hmm. uh, and a raider, um, look at the Barbary pirates of the 1700s. Uh, if you look at, we can, we can track down history even mm-hmm. into the dark ages that we know that you couldn't float a plank across the Mediterranean during the, during the dark ages. So mm-hmm. they, they understood trade and commerce and that if you could stop trade and commerce you stop the money from flowing therefore you create all kinds of other issues um True. and and be, to be quite honest with you it, that is not a mindset that particularly belongs to any no. individual or faith that is that is be honest with you that's good counter warfare right. um right so and you're absolutely right and any faith can be radicalized and yes and the people yes, can. can be you know, you can have evil, evil men with evil designs can back up their designs with scripture. Yes. That makes a, makes yep. for very dangerous, whatever faith. And so, yes. um, yeah, I don't, I'm certainly not. In fact, I, I had a, I had a, I won't, I won't mention the agency, but I had an agent in my office when I was a chief deputy once, and he was going off on the opposite can't from the way you and I are mm-hmm. very kind of getting prejudiced this is early in the, in the, that part of the conflict, probably shortly after nine 11. Um, I guess probably about tw- 2006. Cause I was already a chief, but he was just really, I mean, you could tell he was almost to the point of being ra- radicalized for his beliefs, you know, the other side. Was okay. The other side. And, and I, but he was very misinformed. He, he just was not well read at all. Um, I mean, you've mentioned more than he even really understood that existed as far as surahs and hadiths. And, you know, he, he knew about Wahhabism because he had studied that militant side. Um, and finally, I, I just had had enough. And I said, you need to get out of my office and go study and learn the difference between Hamas and Hamas because you really don't understand what's going on. I, I learned he, it. It, it, some people just come to the come to the intellectual battle, you know, just not wanting to to know, not wanting to learn, and that's sad. That that's dangerous, is what it is. Well, if you look at, you know, this better than probably anyone is. is, is if you let emotion drive you, you're not oh. going to make competent decisions. You know, and a lot of people uh, at that period, and I, and I'll be really honest with you, the that period of time, uh, seeing so much going on at that time in the way of anti-culturalism in the way of uh, pushing against certain this particular religious group you know mm-hmm. um it wasn't until i met uh i was kind of on the fence until i met a friend of mine who is a retired Mossad, and uh i got talking and, and i started asking him questions and literally now we're talking about an extremely deliberate human being um not an ounce of animosity not an ounce, not an ounce, but extremely resolute. You know, um, at the same time, he could stand there and tell you about all the things he had to do to, for the protection of Israel. He will mm-hmm. tell you that there. He tell you that he did that, not only for the Jews that reside in Israel, but also for the Arabs. Also sure. for so for him, he saw the protection of Israel 
in in uh, in the context of Israel is a mixed place with a lot of residents at this current place in time. Are there some that are radical? Yes, he says. But there, he says, I can tell you about bakers and restaurant owners and people that he loves dearly mm-hmm. that that live there that he's he's there to protect. That's his that's right. his job. Um, and and that was a very sobering conversation for me because it really drove home this idea of, well, like oh Sun Tzu, know your enemy yeah. and know yourself. Mm-hmm. That's a real yeah. important understanding. You got to know who the enemy actually really is. Don't assume you know who they are. Mm-hmm. That's true. Know them. Know them well. Yeah, and I think Studies. that's yes, yes. And, and and you know, and, and Sun Tzu points out that you know you'll win all your battles if you can understand both yourself and your enemy. And yep. and and this idea that um, I think that's really the one of the major things that I'm driving for in this next season of Goon Rules, and this will be the first mm-hmm. episode that drops in October. Um, I think this is kind of what I want to wrap up and I want to kind of pick your brain about something you being part of the marshal service and seeing, seeing a lot of things from a, from a law enforcement perspective. Uh, I think, we have a lot of people now and what I want to do is start educating folks on the reality. It's like probability over possibility. Threats are out there. They're literally, as you walk out the door, you know, probably better than anyone that there's a criminal element out there that exists amongst society. That's a much darker side of our society that literally has zero um, value to human life at all. And again, probability over possibility, the average person's probability of running into that criminal element, although there it is very small, mm-hmm. but it's still there. And I think most people don't understand you're not training and you're not developing and working your mind and trying to be cognizant and and, and aware of your surroundings and, and all these different things for you to boast that you have it it's basically you being prepared for that probability that it can happen and i notice that nowadays i've got too many people that i talk to that i'll give you a great example um i had a woman reach out to me through the goon rules ig page and i post a lot of very solid technique based application a lot of solid BJJ boxing and training and, and not anything that's a silver bullet. It requires you to make a solid commitment. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to mm-hmm. throw this question out here to you. And I really want to get your solid feedback. She says, can you post more women's self-defense? And she asked me this question and it just caused this flood of things that go through my mind. And I said to myself, what the hell does that actually mean mm-hmm. in this day and age? And at this time with the, with, and you can talk you probably talk to cops all the time. The availability of information is causing better criminals, stronger mm-hmm. criminals, oh, yeah. more technical right. criminals. So everybody wants this idea that, okay, I did a five hour course and got a certificate and that's going to be what I need. What are your What are your actual feelings about the idea of developing skill sets over this idea of well, I just need to get some self defense. 
I'd, right. I'd love to get your thought process, I'd, your, your thought about that. No, I talk about this all the time. I'll be asked to, you know, give a talk to a young a woman's group or Girl Scouts or church group or whatever. And, and I start with a, a caveat, just like you, much of what you were just saying, you're not going to be able to learn a magic bullet. There's no, what, what I try to impart from the very beginning is a mindset and, and what, um, for men and women to just being aware, being like, like I'm a, I'm a gun guy. I carry, I, you know, I'm, I believe in the right to carry, but I'm not wacky about it because I travel overseas and I don't carry a gun all the time when I'm overseas. Does that mean that I'm a target when I'm overseas? Of course not. I'm aware. I'm always looking for field expedient weapons. If I had to, and, and, mo and really field expedient escapes, you know, mm -hmm. and keeping my wife's purse, you know, in mind and where my phone is in my pocket and not wearing my fanciest watch when I go, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Those are the sorts of things that we can teach men and women. But as far as, because, because of, I think we even talked about this the very first time we met because of the, the internet and schools and the way that we have to teach people. And even in law enforcement, you have to teach to the the slowest common denominator when you're teaching a handcuffing technique or a shooting technique or whatever. Um, and arguably we should, I believe that a, a good law enforcement enforcement officer or military person or anybody that cares about combatives should really be like a samurai. It should be jujitsu. I study jujitsu because I believe jujitsu is all encompassing whether my, the way I treat my gun is, you know, the way I treat my pistol or the way I, for instance, when I was taught um, that when you present the pistol out of your holster, you always acquire the front sight every time. Doesn't matter if you're putting it in the lockbox in the jail, you draw the pistol, acquire the front sight in a safe direction and come back. All right, now I can put the gun away. When I get it out of the lockbox, I get out of the lockbox, acquire the front sight, bring it back, put it exactly the same way every time. So that's a mindset more than it is. A, I'm not going to get in a gunfight with somebody on the street. But if I do that all the time, if I teach my daughter-in-laws and my wife and my sons to be aware when they walk into a restaurant, that's the best self-defense we can teach them. Because mm -hmm. unless they decide to go in and, you know, I, I teach when I go in and teach a little class, I teach what we've just talked about of mm -hmm. survival mindset. And I teach a couple of really simple techniques. Like the thumb is the weakest part of the, you know, towards the thumb, you know, you know, you're a martial artist yep. instead of towards the hands and when pushed pull and when pulled push. And mm -hmm. that's the, that's my, that's my whole self-defense course. And we talk about it because anything else is just air and it's, it's, inter it's entertainment is what it is. And we, entertain with our self-defense courses when in real life it's a car wreck when you are in a fight for your life somebody it's very rare that you go toe-to-toe -to -toe. you know this i'm not yeah. I'm preaching to the choir i'm giving you my philosophy it's a it's a blinding tornado car wreck that techniques don't work mindset works yeah the way where your heart is works and if you're in really good shape, if you're built like Dwayne Johnson, all kinds of techniques work. If you're yeah. well, Torgerson, he's like a strong dude. Yeah. It, it, a lot of techniques will work for him. 
that are not going to work for a smaller statue stat you know a smaller stature of a man or a female yeah or somebody with with uh lower upper body strength but good you know women have really good lower center of gravity so there are techniques that help them Krav mm-hmm. is a good example of some just kill mindset with some yeah. nice techniques at the same time if somebody goes up against you who knows and trains daily it's hard to teach a technique that will suit that the thing that you said about smarter criminals that is very true but on a day-to-day basis the kind of criminal that most people are going to come in contact with or the homeless guy that's trying to rip you off mm-hmm. or the the opportune rapist that's going to get you in the the parking garage so you know and they see you walking and you didn't pay attention so all of that paying attention mindset being curious about the world around you same that we talk about with tracking it's all that's why I like jujitsu because it's really uh, it's a it's a whole mindset. So teaching that, but that I don't I, I'm interested to see what you do teach because that, that would be an interesting I don't know what you could put out besides worthwhile entertainment, you know, worthwhile maybe some some uh, philosophy about being aware, which is what I like to teach. Yeah, it's this idea of uh, I'm trying to encourage people, and I think it's in this uh, the self autonomous mind, the the like uh, the alpha of the pack, this mindset that that's been drug off to a place that the funny thing is is like I've learned an awful lot through the animal kingdom about mm-hmm. the alpha, and mm-hmm. I particularly took a liking to wolves, right. the way wolves operate in a pack structure. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if if there was a lot to learn from that, oh, that yeah, they absolutely. determined that in certain pack structures, there were alphas that when they would make a kill, the alpha would not eat first. Hmm. The alpha would allow the others to come in and be specifically the older hmm. would come in and would allow them to eat and then begin. Um, to me, it wasn't so much the action of that. It's the mindset. It's this idea yeah. like where, where, what are we thinking about and what are we considering as people, as individuals, mm-hmm. you know, where are morals? And mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about from a religious point of view. I'm oh, talking yeah. about from a humanity point of view. How do we feel about the old? How do we, how do we feel about the sick? How do we feel about the unfortunate? How do we feel about those that are lesser, you know? Um, how do we feel and, and that concept concept, how do we feel about ourselves? So therefore, how do we look at ourselves from that point of view? The the how are we encouraging the single mother of three? How what are what are we giving her by just saying, yeah, come and take this this five hour course? What are we giving her? We're not giving her anything. You know, we need to we need to help encourage her to again take on this mind that you're talking about. You know what? Um, I don't have an awful lot of time during the week, but I think I can get a babysitter to attend mm-hmm. this. Um, you know, hey, I, I find hey, people find. Hey, listen, I've noticed that nowadays people find time to work out. People find time to oh, exercise. Yeah. People find time to take that run mm-hmm. in the morning. So what what's keeping you from, you know, going and taking a handgun course 
You know, mm-hmm. what's, what's, what's keeping you from getting those kind of reps in weekly, mm-hmm. you know, what's keeping you from going to the local Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym and taking a, you know, a, an open class once a week for 30 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. what, what you're doing is you're creating these life patterns yeah. that, yeah. you know, staying in shape, eating right, working on your cardio, you know why? Yeah, the the yeah, the BJJ techniques and the gun and all that's great, but in the end, how healthy are you? How much endurance do you have? Those are the things that are going to serve you well, and that only comes from dedication. That Keep comes from sharp, yeah. yeah, you know, doing your push ups every day, doing you know, paying attention to the things that really matter, and that's really what what I'm trying to push for goon rules. Is no, that that's great? That, that's a that's, great philosophy. That's the way, to be honest with you, this idea that you're going to, there's a level of tenacity that you're going to attack life with. Goon rules is not mm-hmm. just about this idea of fighting. No, you're going to be tenacious with life. You're going to, hey, I'm going to set patterns. I'm going to set goals. I'm going to do things. I'm, I'm going to look at ways to eat healthier and stay healthier. And, you know, um, I just think that the days of, of, I hate to say this because I, I really feel strongly about this. It's going to be a drum that I'm going to beat that I think, you know, I'm going to get a lot of pushback, but I feel like the days of the days of self-defense, mm-hmm. I would like to see the sun set on at least the way it's being presented now. That's not right. what we need. People don't need self-defense. They need well, I, active I, skill sets. Actors. Yeah. I, I like, I like the way you say that. I think we are in a, kind of a strange a strange world right now because we have so many operators so many excellent martial artists so many excellent when i say martial artists i mean the true martial way i mean navy seals these these tier one and tier two operators they're out there everywhere teaching online and in person and they have they have some good information Mm-hmm. We are now, but but I fear that if we don't have the component that you've talked about, and this is, you know, my old guy looking back, but um, there's so many warriors that don't think about that old Japanese, you know, pin and a sword, pin and sword in a cord, the, the whole chrysanthemum and the sword, that, that knight errant kind of uh, whole, and I'm going to talk about men, I'm not trying to exclude women, but I, I, I want to better myself. And so I'm talking about men. Like I, I have, I, we might've talked this before, but I, in the Arliss Cutter series, I've got a, a, Arliss has two nephews and he's constantly giving him these rules that his grandfather gave him. And their his grandfather was called him grumpy. And so they're grumpy's man rules. And one of the things that he does, I do with my grandsons because I'm always writing, I'm always meeting deadlines and all that. My oldest grandson when he was about i don't know four came running in and wanted to play and i was working on something and and he said writing another book who'd have thought kind of like i want to play but you're working again mm-hmm. and so i told the boys that at that time it was just boys when they were like five five and four i said i tell you what you come up to me anytime i don't care if i'm on the computer you know be nice don't interrupt if somebody's talking to me but come to me anytime and you say, they call me Papa. And they say, I say, you say to me, Papa, let us be men. And if you give me those magic words, then we're going to go do something manly. And it's going to be 
you know, the first time I think we made a bow and arrow out of a PVC pipe. And then we rolled around and did a couple of, you know, forward rolls, you know, and backwards rolls and had the, you know, the white belts out and had them rolling over those. And then the next time we, I can't remember, made a whittle to stick or something. And then they were up visiting Alaska and they came up and said, Papa, let us be, men. oh, we went shooting. And they said, Papa, let us be men. I said, excellent idea. Scott next door broke his ribs. He's got some wood chopped. We need to go stack that. And they go, oh, wait, we're going to, we wanted to do man stuff. And I said, this is man man stuff. stuff. This is man stuff. It's all part of that. And I think what the sooner we realize this philosophy you're talking about, besides the martial, that the martial way is really just the way. We're strong enough to protect ourselves and protect the weak. Then we ought to make the, because there's always going to be weaker people. I'm, you know, I'm a weaker person now. I'm 60 years old. Plenty of people can kick my butt. They will hurt, be hurt at the end, right? Mm. I make sure of that. There's lots of people that can be victorious, but yeah. not without, you know. So, but I want to make my granddaughters and, and grandsons and my kids, I want them to be well-rounded people and and. I think the philosophy you're talking about is perfect for that and, and much needed, honestly, very much needed. Well, that's Buddha in, in yeah, and unto itself. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly. this idea it's of balance, way. you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that, uh, and, and for all you've let you ladies that are listening out there, this is not, you know, he's centering on it cause he's talking specifically to himself. This is not a man only concept. I mean, this not is definitely worth and I, I think uh, we can. I've got granddaughters now, so I have, yes. to, I have to include. We can't be. Let us be men. Let us be good people. So yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I got two daughters too, and there's this constant conversation about you know being self autonomous and you know paying attention and being in front of the curve. You know, don't be reactive. Be proactive. Yeah, you know, don't don't good. wait for things to come beating on the door. Get out in front of it. You know, be uh, there. Exactly. Err on the side of action. That's what I taught my kids growing up. That's the way I try to live, to err on the side of action. Everybody's going to make a mistake. Make a mistake while you're doing something, not sitting around, like you say, behind the curve. That's the wrong kind of mistake to make. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and the, the whole... I break it down into two thought processes. One thought is the century's mind, the century mind and the raider mind. The century has the hardest job. The sentry stands at the gate and basically waits mm-hmm. for something to happen. That's their job. The Raiders got the easiest job. The Raiders got one job, attack. Mm-hmm. The, the mm-hmm. Biomechanically, the Raider is in the, is in the catbird seat. You know, he's, mm-hmm. control, he's controlling the conversation. And, uh, and one of the big mindsets is, is that you need to you can be as vigilant as a sentry, but you need to be as cunning as a raider. That's good. You need to That's put yourself good. in the raider's mind immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, you you may be thinking, uh, okay, I need to initially respond to this particular thing, but your mind is is you need to go well, act action versus reaction. You know, the best the best defense is a good yeah. offense. You know this, yeah, yeah. and I think that doesn't need to to be focused specifically to combatives you can approach Absolutely. life that way you can approach Absolutely. all facets of life so that's what i'm i'm hoping to do and 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 um 
I would really enjoy more talks about this. I really like, actually, I got another guy that, I, uh, another retired police officer. I'd like to get you in a conversation with that. Got me into a conversation talking about, uh, mental health and the thin blue line talking about the things that law enforcement is get. And again, on this whole idea of being active as we, as civilians, um, I think, the understanding of, of what our law enforcement officers go through and getting in front of that and understanding that they see a lot of, I'm not even going to talk about what they deal with as far as physically. I'm talking about what they see, um, that they, that things that they can never unsee that they have to take home and that they have to live with and that they have to, deal with the rest of their life. And, um, I'd like to, cause no, I think that's be, oh, fun. Yeah. That would, be, that, that would be an honor to chat with somebody else about that. And you do become kind of a, a sin eater, if you will, just sort of taking a lot of that stuff on yourself. And I watched that in my youngest son and, you know, and his friends and from this older point of view, it, it's, uh, It'll it's poison heartbreaking, you. but it, it's, it's heartbreaking, but it's also, it makes you, it, it brings a lot of, of uh, pride in watching the way they handle it, and a lot more, a lot more open nowadays about talking about some of that stuff, which is very healthy, where we didn't used to at all. I think the the concept that I, I like to talk about with cops is is that biblically, if you look at um, in the Hib- in the Hebrew culture, um, the warrior is always the warrior, always that never changes. But mm-hmm. at a point in time, yeah, that your days of combat, they never end. But there is the day that he does ask you to return to who you were before you picked up the sword, mm-hmm. you know, to go back to the plow. Yeah. And there's mm-hmm. uh, and I think from an agricultural point of view, if you've ever, you know, which I'm sure you have, you know, uh, being in the fields and working and physically doing these things, it can be healing. Um, oh, no doubt. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely you know, right. And when you so, have a task you can complete, that's actually complete instead of yeah. the big merry-go-round that yeah. life is. Yeah. All right, yeah, brother. Thanks for uh, taking the time to chat with me. No, brother. I, it's always a welcome. I, I so enjoy these conversations. So Red Winter, December of this year. Yeah, December 6th. December, December 6th, 2022. Mm-hmm. Folks, be out there looking for it. Uh, hardback or hard hardcover, audible, like me, the, as my daughters would call me, fake reader. <laughs> my girls hey, call readers me fake readers. My That's well, my funny. girls are voracious readers, and they I tell I tell them I read a book, and they're like, "No, you didn't. You didn't read a book. You listened to a book." And I said, "Okay, That's fair funny. enough. Fair enough. I'll take the That's shot." Funny. But uh, uh, cool. December 6, twenty twenty two, guys, be looking for uh, Red Winter. Is there anything else coming out with any of your other? Uh, your other uh, series that you got going on? There's a, a Arliss Cutter novel coming out in April. Uh, it's called um, Breakneck. It's, a, okay. it's about a deputy marshal based up here in Alaska. So a lot of the, actually, I explore a lot of what we just talked about in the last 10 minutes. There's a lot of that exploration in that. So um, those are, because those are, I wouldn't say they're autobiographical, but, you know, I've been researching being a marshal and in de- in deputy marshal in Alaska for, years so it's easier for me to do those mind space wise than the than the tom clancy novels but uh that's coming out in april and then several other things that we can talk about next time 
pretty cool. Excellent. Excellent. Fun stuff. Well, folks, for Mark Cameron, I'm Rob Cabrera. Catch us on the next episode. And remember, when violence knocks, goon rules. We're going to leave you with the bone shaker. We'll see you next time.